refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. Welcome to another episode of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines. My name is Clark Ollers. And I'm Serge Antonin. And today's topic involves the Elyria, Ohio Police Department's raid on a house in Ohio on January 10th, 2024. Serge, I find the video and the facts of this case to be shocking. Do you have any comment preliminarily before I give an overview? Well, I hate to sound noncommittal, but I'd like to see how the investigation shakes out because I'm not quite sure how to feel if everything was done correctly Then, Serge, as per policy. Then, Serge, way. you and I will have to agree to disagree in this case. Here are the facts as I believe them to be. On January 10th, 2024, in Elyria, Ohio, police served a search warrant. For our listeners, Elyria, Ohio is spelled E-L-Y-R-I-A. It's a small town, 21 square miles, with a population of 53,000. That's roughly the same size as Frederick City, Maryland, which is 22 square miles. The population of Elyria is about two-thirds that of Frederick City, Maryland. Again, the population is about 53,000. The Elyria Police Department has 79 police officers. That's kind of important because at least 20 law enforcement officers <laughs> were involved in this incident, or 25% is on the SWAT team. Of the force. Well, 25% is on the SWAT team. Well, you got to wonder. I know, right? Another way of looking at it is so many police officers were there that it was the equivalent of two professional football teams worth of police officers, all in tactical gear. Oh, make it plain that it's two football teams on the field, not the entire correct, team. Correct, yeah. correct. That's right. Just, yeah, right. It's only yeah. 22 people or so. Yeah, 20, yeah. <laughs> Surrounding one small house, all but two of the police officers were in tactical gear, most with long weapons pointed at the house long after the arrest had been made of the woman who was present in the house. The raid took place at a home on Wednesday afternoon, and later that week, the Elyria mayor ordered that body-worn camera video be released. The body-worn camera video is appalling. It shows these police officers, first of all, they, they have two vehicles that they take to get there. One, they stop before they get there and get out of this black van, and the black van has these and it's unmarked, if I'm not correct, right? It's unmarked. I mean, van, if I'm correct. And, yeah. and a white truck's also unmarked. Like a box style truck. Box right? style truck and yeah. a big black van. Looks like, almost looks like one of those new Mercedes vans. Yeah, yeah, like see. a sprinter type van. The black van has these side steps that the officers all stand on. Then they hold on a bar on the top of the, th- uh, the truck. So picture this it's daylight. They have all these police cars that are kind of in a procession with lights and siren on. and so Not siren, I'm sorry, lights on. And all these officers hanging onto this van. And they arrive at this house. 
331 Parmalee uh, Avenue. That home is the home of Redia Jennings and her husband, Marlon Jennings. And at the time, their niece, Courtney Price, and her 17-month-old son, Waylon, were staying with the Jennings family. I think it's important to note that everyone's white in this situation. Well, the child, 17-month-old Waylon, was born four months prematurely, has myriad health issues, including a hole in his heart, pulmonary hypertension, and is on a ventilator. And you know what else I think is very germane? One of those tracheostomy tubes in his throat. Correct. Yes. At the time of this incident. The mother had just been cleaning it right before the raid. Mm -hmm. The Elyria Police Department issued a press release. The press release says we obtained a court-authorized search warrant for the residents. Well, let me just pause there and pick those words apart for a moment. Serge, there is no other type of search warrant (laughs) for a crime in the United States other than a court-authorized search warrant. But I guess that that makes what they – the way they served it okay. Makes it sound legitimate. I I find it hard to believe that any judge signed a search warrant saying, go forth and behave the way these police officers behaved. They then say in paragraph four, after repeated announcements, the tactical team entered the interior of the residence. Now, let me translate that. After shouting for six to nine seconds, six to nine seconds, they broke the front door down while over a dozen police officers armed with machine, in some cases, machine guns pointed at the door and the windows and they screamed and screamed and screamed. Among the things they screamed, there was a poor dog that got hit when the door flew open, hit so hard it went down a flight of stairs. That dog barked, and they all yelled, dog, 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 I guess so that somebody was ready to shoot and kill the dog. You can tell I'm a little incensed, Serge. Break in and and tell me so far if I've misstated anything or why you have an open mind about this. Well, here's I don't necessarily have an open mind because I do think that what they did was over the top, but I'm just saying whether or not they were authorized to be there, I think, is at issue. Whether Because they claim that the people who live there claim that the they were looking for someone who no longer lives there. While the police department made it sound like, when I in an article that I read, that as of right now, the warrant was proper and their investigation, initial investigation, yielded that it was proper. So in that regard, I, I'm, I'm open-minded. But as far as how they carried on... I, I don't know, man. Well, first of all, let's let's break that down, Serge. There's two different issues there. Yes. There's no, there's no, I should say there's no dispute at this point other than from the people who live at the residence. Mm-hmm. But according to news reports, the search warrant was for 331 Parmalee Avenue. Yes. So the police were at the right house. The issue is... That the suspect the police were looking for, they were looking for a young man associated with stolen firearms. Mm -hmm. That young man, police, according to the residents of 331, the police over the last year have been to the house five times looking for that young man. He does not live at that house. He's not associated with that house. He lived there in the past before the current 
residents moved into the rental property. So as they say, I don't understand. I've been told multiple times these people don't live here anymore is why you would get a search warrant for the house. Now, the police also indicated that the mother informed detectives that she intended on taking the child to the hospital due to the child's pre-existing illness, unrelated to the tactical operation. Mm -hmm. However, she lacked an available car, so they called an ambulance. What the body-worn camera shows is that the police used it's an incredible device. Never seen this device before this incident, Serge. It looks like an extended a pole of some sort. Mm-hmm. It goes up to the second level so that the police can put the flashbang next to a glass window. On the I've second. never seen anything like it either. It blows the second window out. Matter of fact, I thought a trajectory had been set in the house because the window blows apart. Have you ever experienced? Yes. Flashbang. Yes. Like yes they're they, pretty. They don't. They're it's unbelievable uh, force. Yes. Well, here's what's beautiful. The baby was in a bassinet next to that window, mm-hmm. and the room fills with smoke. And what happens when you when you carefully listen to the tapes that were the body worn cameras? It is a medic who says we're going to take this child to the, to hospital. the hospital. Yes, it isn't that the mother says, "Oh, I don't have a ride," and the police are so you know th- these are such wonderful police officers. You know the narrative, right? Now, once they scream and scream and scream, a, a police officer behind a, a body shield. This woman comes, this skinny woman who's a young white female. She comes to the door wearing, appears to me, sweatpants, a casual shirt of some sort, like I wear at home, Mm -hmm. and a pair of socks. And they order her out, and they handcuff her and search her. And, of course, they're all pointing guns at her and so forth and threatening what they're going to do. Yes. So she says, I've got a baby. You know, I want the baby. And ultimately... They allow her to go check on the baby. The police then in this press release say, oh, let me, <laughs> let, let's stress. Oh. <laughs> I know, that's me. That any allegation suggesting the child was exposed to chemical agents, lack of medical attention or negligence is not true. So the police department stands on that is not true. The facts are slightly different. Mother got the baby home that same day, but by the next morning, she was on the phone to 911, where Waylon was taken to Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital, having trouble breathing, and has been admitted to the hospital. Let me calm down, and you carry on. Anyone would be incensed, but there's no racial component here, so we have the luxury of just looking at this as the police acting poorly and overreacting, in my opinion. Serge, uh, an interesting thought occurred to me because, of, of course, this is black and white and thin blue lines where we Correct. typically speak about the intersection of race and criminal justice. Of course. An interesting thing occurred to me. In the case of Ferguson, we talk about the Ferguson effect. Oh, you're talking about Michael Brown. Michael Brown. Gotcha, gotcha. There were questions about did the police treat Michael Brown out of uh, – it poorly out of a sense of racial animus mm-hmm. or hatred or prejudice, bias. Cases like this make me think the police just mistreat people generally. <laughs> and they actually make it harder to figure out whether any particular abuse is racially motivated. Because here, Serge, I like, I'm going to have to disagree. Let, let me stop let me, you. Let me just say one thing before you disagree. Then. Okay. Because, Serge, honestly... This looked like a SEAL team 
to capture a terrorist. <laughs> Osama bin Laden. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> seriously, Serge, if you, I really encourage our listeners to go on the internet, find these videos that are all posted on YouTube now, and watch a couple of them. These police officers are ready for war, and they're serving a search warrant at a house that looks like it could be off Main Street Laurel. In other words, there's nothing. This is not a ghetto neighborhood. This is not, uh, I would say the entire uh, Elyria, Ohio, looks a little bit uh, middle class to to uh, lower middle class, I might say, okay. in terms of just appearance. I'm not gotcha, trying gotcha. to I know. make a judgment. I got you, yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Serge. Well, I don't completely disagree. I only disagree that what it shows you is they do generally, or I'm not. we can't say them all because we know some good police. I like to think you and I were good police. But they don't I know many good police. Yes. I totally agree. I wouldn't say that they all treat everyone poorly. But some do. And you have to imagine that if they're treating these white people like this, I bet you they would have turned it up a notch had these people been brown or black. So I can't say that race wouldn't enter or factor in. I would think it absolutely would factor in and we'd see something even. They might have killed the dog. And shot at the little baby. Who knows? But it's just, the, these police, to me, overreacted. Serge, I think overreacting is a polite way of saying they behaved like the ATF at Waco. <laughs> I mean, I just think this And was, they kind of overreacted. Well, <laughs> they could have done so. things totally differently. Accept, let me just say this. I should correct myself. The Illyria police forgot to bring the tank. Yeah. To me, shocking to see the way these officers acted on the service of a search warrant. And, Serge, one of the most interesting things about this case, I would love to have a grand jury authority to issue subpoenas to get people in a federal or state court over this case. Because when what I What do you read, mean by that? What do you mean? Well, first of all, a grand jury can issue subpoenas ordering people to come forward and answer questions under oath. Yeah, yeah. They have investigative authority. I would love to be head of that grand jury and have oh, that investigative you, authority okay. so that I could issue. Because I have a couple of questions. The Elyria Police Department shares its headquarters building with a number of federal agencies, including the FBI. So I really wonder if all 20 of those agents are all Elyria police. Or if some were FBI. Correct. I really yeah. do wonder because I will tell you this. I looked up the salary of the police chief. Uh-huh. The police chief has been police chief for about two years and one month. When he was uh, elevated to police chief from a lower rank, his salary, so that's 21 months ago, was $112,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Now, we're recording this in Howard County, Maryland. There are a lot of police officers that make $112,000, including overtime, in this jurisdiction where we're sitting right Mm -hmm. now. So if the police chief's salary is $112,000, I have to think that the budget of the police department is relatively low. Low. Gotcha. Gotcha. The equipment surge. I looked at equipment. I looked at two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment. I'm sure more than that. Okay, dollars. probably so. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm not including the vehicles. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm just talking about the long arms, yeah, yeah. the the uh, the weapons they had, the uniforms they had, the equipment. It was unbelievable. Which leads you to believe that they might have been there might be be some Fed money there. Well. Post 9-11, as you know, the Mm -hmm. federal government opened up the military supply 
in the United States to the police. Yeah. And one of the things we've talked about and I've railed against in this podcast is the militarization of police, which I think is a mistake. Well, we, we've kind of yeah, went you back disagree and forth about that. Yeah. We've gone back and forth, but I think it's basically a mistake. I'm not saying there aren't times that police officers are faced, such as the Texas case, with a shooter in a high-rise uh, uh, parking garage. Mm-hmm. In Dallas. Correct. I yeah. think that was, you know, you need uh, a, almost a military response to that kind of violence. Of I get it. But to me, and I, Serge, I have so many criticisms of the police department in this case. Here's my first. If you can afford to have 20 police officers go gear up and and hit this house, you can afford to have surveillance done by other officers 24-7 on the house for a couple of days to see if the suspect is even there. In other words, very few people stay at home 24 hours a day. And you know what I was thinking? If they've been there multiple times and they were told the person didn't live there, why didn't they have somebody do surveillance? Well, that's my point, sir. Exactly. In other words, this to me is not like uh, there's been a shooting. Somebody has shot up a couple of cops. They've run into the house. And we have every reason to believe they're still in the house. There may be hostages. I kind of understand the police reacting in those situations. This is apparently an investigation which went on for at least a year. They had multiple reports the person didn't live there. I'd love to know, and and by the way, in this day and age, you don't even need to conduct surveillance with a human being there. You could put a a camera that on a on a pole that's owned by the a utility company that is motion detected, activated. But by the way, we have such phones. I think I have one at my house called ring cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're very inexpensive. Maybe I got to call the police chief and, and give him a hint on how to conduct an investigation <laughs> like this. But that's not nearly as much fun as driving through the streets of Elyria, Ohio, in your, in your uh, by the way, the team is not called a SWAT team. It's called the SRT, the Special Response Team. Well, it's a SWAT team. They've got They're all special. These weird names. Uh, they they are very very special. <laughs> They've got a special truck, and you hold on to the special truck like a fireman in 1930. Yeah. And you ride to the scene, and you have police cars with lights on surround you, so that all the citizens in Elyria become and I mean this, Serge. I really believe this. Become desensitized to living in a country where more and more the government treats us like we're criminals, like we're all criminals. Get out of the way for the SWAT team, sorry, SRT team, (laughs) to come through in their special trucks with police officers hanging off with SWAT gear and rifles to attack us. Go ahead, Serge. Well, I mean, I can't say that I disagree, but at the end of the day, we got to wait for the investigation to shake out. Not me. <laughs> I, I can believe my lying eyes. I hear you, man. You know, in other words, I saw the video. By the way, sir, it's really interesting. There's a lot of footage where the audio portion. Now, you know, on body-worn cameras, there's usually a 30-second delay between the audio coming on once the camera activates. Mm-hmm. So I'm not suggesting that every time a police department posts a camera online and there's a there's a period of time where there's no noise or audio that the police are hiding evidence. But in the videos released by this police department, there are times when the audio goes out in the middle of the sequence. And the police say that's because they're respecting the privacy of the investigation. 
I, honestly, you and I both know better than that. that right, doesn't even, right. I just that doesn't even stop. the stuff we've seen. We, we've I don't seen, believe you. We, we've seen agencies ooh, ooh. call on me, police chief. We've I, seen agencies lose interrogations. I don't believe you <laughs> when it's their job, now, their only job. Hey, maintain the the interrogation. I, I wondered, Serge, whether I was alone in my disbelief. So I went to the El Elyria, Ohio Police Department's Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting about Facebook is, owing to certain federal court decisions, basically what the public posts on a police department Facebook page is not supposed to be erased by the police departments. Ah. So some of the people who respond on Facebook are polite and say things like, this is emotionally distressing. <laughs> okay. Serge, any others? That's- I got a good one. I'm not going to read the name of the person, of course, but uh, this one says, Brianna Taylor was a oops, wrong house, too, and they didn't want to admit it either. I like the, how can you sit there and say, quote, after repeated announcements, end quote, when you literally gave the occupants not even 10 seconds before breaking the door down. So after repeated announcements, you know, uh, the other thing is imagine trying to gaslight your community. I love that with his poor excuse of an explanation. That's what it is. It's gaslighting. It's telling us we're not seeing with our own eyes what and, we're and seeing. And it's funny that you say that. I thought exactly what kind of what this one states. I'm sure medical records will prove that the baby's eyes were in fact injured. But just looking at the pictures, any person with half a brain can see it. It is a crazy, crazy case. They took this woman. They put her in handcuffs. They walked her away from her home, front yard and driveway. Some time went by before they checked on the 17-month-old baby. I will say the following. Thankfully, no police officers were injured (laughs) in the service of this search warrant. During the filming of this fiasco. Speaking of crazy Clark Owlers, I think we have an update on a crazy situation with the Maryland State Police. Well, the update is the following. Maryland's appellate court. Maryland's appellate court is its intermediate appeals court. It used to be called the Court of Special Appeals, and it is uh, now the intermediate appellate. It's actually called the appellate court. It's an intermediate appellate court. Maryland's Court of Appeals is now called Maryland Supreme Court. On Kashif Khan's behalf, I had appealed the decision of the Anne Arundel County Circuit Court upholding his termination as a Maryland State Trooper to the appellate court. Unfortunately, the appellate court upheld the decision of the Maryland State Police. I was uh, called today by a newspaper that's covering the case, and I commented to the press that I think it's very unfortunate that in Maryland, a Maryland State Trooper can be judged by a jury appointed by the superintendent, that is the accuser. The accuser picks the jury, and the jury, meaning the the Law Enforcement Officers Bill of Rights Hearing Board, makes a decision about the police officer by a standard of preponderance of the evidence, meaning 51% certainty. That's another way of saying we are willing to ruin the life of a man by accusing that man of an integrity violation where there is a 49% error rate. That, that to me is appalling. And considering the fact that 
in this case, there were some issues with the training, the integrity of other people involved. What was given to the Court of Special Appeals or the now appellate appellate court. court was kind of a case built on shifting sands, if you will. So I think having been there and having read their decision, they were not equipped with the complete facts and they were kind of given a house of cards that was built on shifting sands, if you will. I don't believe the facts that they were given. So it it was, it was just a terrible miscarriage of justice. What was done to this honorable ex trooper. I think what was done to Kashif Khan is abhorrent. I believe that often in life, eventually the truth will out. And eventually, there will be troopers proven to be unworthy of the badge and that some of those troopers were involved in this whole process involving Kashif Khan. The sad fact is it will be too late for a decent guy like Khan to even benefit. Serge, uh, thank you for your remarks. And I I just want to say I've witnessed uh, the kindness that Serge has shown towards Kashif Khan since the uh, case began, since I began representing Kashif and Serge, I, I just say I appreciate it as Kashif's advocate and as your friend and as Kashif's friend. I think he is a very, very decent man. And I think he's been given an awful burden of ca- carrying with him a stigma that is absolutely unfair and untrue. Absolutely. Now, I understand there's another topic we'd like to briefly uh, discuss, and that involves juvenile justice in Maryland. There is a gentleman by the name of Vincent Chiraldi who has been appointed to the role of juvenile services secretary for Baltimore City, which has to be a state position because he was appointed by the governor. And (laughs) Clark, it's kind of like the discussion we've had about police chiefs who can be recycled, even if they did a poor job where they come from. And this gentleman's background is in New York City, where he headed corrections. And if anybody knows that during his tenure there, Rikers Island suffered a a grave humanitarian crisis with how they treated the inmates, how the guards were treated. So for this man to come here, and I'll quote a gentleman who was a uh, New York City councilman by the name of Robert Holden. He says that Chiraldi was a disaster at his former post in NYC. So now he comes here to take up a post that to me is not only vital, but very sensitive because we're dealing with the juvenile justice system. And once again, the recycling and no one else suffers but us, the the good people. One of the not so secret truths about the General Assembly in Maryland is there's a black caucus and the black caucus has taken Governor Westmore to task for some of his appointments and Governor Westmore doubles down. Indeed. As a matter of fact, it's funny you say that. This gentleman, Vincent Chiraldi, was the only member of the governor's cabinet 
that did not receive full support by the legislature. That ought to tell you something right there. Very interesting. Well, uh, I know that the superintendent of the Maryland State Police was the subject of a lot of controversy. And uh, more to come on that in a future episode, I hope. Uh, If any troopers happen to be listening to this and those troopers are aware of certain internal investigations against the superintendent of the Maryland State Police that he may have had interest in in keeping quiet, give me a call. I'd be very interested. (laughs) Keeping quiet. (laughs) I like it. So that's our podcast for today. As always, we welcome your comments. You can always look us up on our website, www.blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you. But life is never easy. There's work to be done and obligations to be met. Obligations to truth, to justice, and to liberty. This podcast is the copyrighted property of Black and White and Thin Blue Lines Incorporated, a Maryland corporation. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the written permission of the owner is prohibited. For more information, we invite you to visit the website, blackandwhiteandthinbluelines.com. All of the words in the URL address, use common spelling and are typed together with no spaces. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we welcome your remarks through email. The email addresses of the co-creators, Serge Antonin and Clark Eilers, may be found on the website.